We'll go down through several verses here in Hebrews 10 and uh, speak to you this morning on a subject. I want to talk to you more as your pastor and uh, I'll be lengthy this morning, but I want to, I want to give you uh, this thought on the folly of forsaking. The folly of forsaking. And uh, it's a good reminder for us as far as the Scripture goes. And we'll give you more in-depth than what is usually dealt with on the subject. Because the concept of forsaking uh, is something we have to walk guard on in our, uh, and walk guard against in our lives. <clears throat> and forsaking is leaving something that you should not be leaving. Uh, there are times when uh, you may change something that's not forsaking. You may go from one thing to another or whatever. And it's not forsaking. You, you're working a job. That job's not working out so well for you. You have a different thought. Maybe you want to go a different direction. You decide to go a different path. That's not forsaking. I'm forsaking something. The idea, the idea of forsaking is leaving something that should not be left. Um, and in this concept of uh, the concept of forsaking has to do with integrity and has to do with our uh, our values and what we value. Uh, one of the characteristics that the Bible outlines of the latter times and as we draw closer to the coming of the Lord and as sin takes more and more effect in our world, uh, its corruptive nature gets more and more enmeshed in, in human behavior. Um, one of the characteristics is uh, that they're, they're not covenant uh, keepers, they're covenant breakers. Uh, in other words, you can, people won't keep their word on what you do. Many of us talk about time that we either know of or some of us remember even the time when you just shake hands on something, and then that was that was it. You know, nowadays it's almost you almost have to have a five-page contract to buy a piece of bubble gum. I mean, it's almost like that. It's just crazy. And then people still break it and, and don't keep their word on something. And uh, God's people ought never to be characterized as a people who don't keep their word. That's not okay for the world, and it is even more emphatically not okay for God's people. We are birthed by God's Word. We are born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God, which, is abide, which liveth and abideth forever. Uh, Jesus chose to describe Himself as the Word of God in more than one place in the Bible. The Bible makes much of the integrity of God's written Word, the, the steadfastness of the living Word. And if we're people who have been birthed by the Word and we believe the Word, then we ought to be people who keep our word as best we can. We understand that being humans, there are things that are out of our control, uh, but far less than what we like to let on about. In other words, sometimes something happens and all it is is a convenient excuse to do what we wanted to do anyway, which was not keeping our word. And uh, it's, it's amazing in, in the employment area, uh, people trying to run a business, trying to hire people, just getting people to show up. I mean, just to show up. Uh, you can pay a decent wage, but getting people to show up, especially show up after a weekend. And, uh, or to show up in a state where they can actually get some work done. That's an amazing thing in and of itself. If you can keep your word, you can show up when you ought to show up, and you can even halfway listen and do something, you are very employable today. You really are. And uh, it's an amazing thing. But this thing of the folly of forsaking is a, uh, is a tremendously powerful thing. And, and I hope we get it down inside of us strongly. Let's look at Hebrews 10. And I want to show you several verses here that go with this. And it will help us to understand 
and uh, keep us in times of weakness or temptation from forsaking that which we should not leave. Um, I love this. In, in Hebrews 10, it's talking about how, how gracious uh, the Lord is to this to us. Look in verse 16. It says, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts. So in other words, we're obeying God because there's something put inside us that, that wants to do the right thing and we respond to truth. And in their minds will I write them. I put them in there so they respond. And no doubt on any given service, I'm probably preaching to some people who don't know the Lord. And uh, I never know for sure. But um, with that, you know, uh, people who do actually know the Lord, the Word of God has an appeal to them. There's an effect that it has. And, and why? Because there's something put inside us that, that resounds with it. And it says, uh, in their minds while I write them, verse 17, you talk about a great, great and wonderful truth towards us. And their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. God doesn't forget our sins because God's forgetful. He chooses not to remember. That's a wonderful thing to choose not to remember. I remember the faithful, faithful old preacher, Brother Lee Robertson, talking about, and he preached this message many, many years ago. He's been home with the Lord a good number of years. I believe he was 95 when he went home to be with the Lord. He surrendered the call to preach on his life when he was 16 years old in Louisville, Kentucky, and preached the Word faithfully without backing up, without changing where he was going in, in his belief until the age of about 93 where he was no longer able to keep up with it and stayed faithful all these years. That's quite an example. And it stayed right straight on, straight on the right track with it. But he talked about how in his early days he would occasionally lend people money and then he would write down how much they owed him and he would keep those little cards. <laughs> well, if you've ever lent money, and that's not a good idea, if you're going to do something... If you can't give it, then you shouldn't enter into it. And for goodness sake, don't co-sign people. Uh, there, there's a reason why they're not, uh, they're not, uh, they're, they're not a good, uh, they're not a good risk. And uh, you're going to eat it and you have a huge percentage chance of that. But he can keep those cards with all these little names on Like I have in my pocket there, I have a bunch of three by five cards, different things on them and, and such. And he would keep those cards, people he'd lent money. And he said every time he would pull those cards out, I don't know where he kept them, he said every time he'd run into them, it would aggravate him. He said it would bother him because he'd think, well, you know, that guy said $20, which was a lot of money back when this was happening. And he said, hey, he never paid me back. And there he is. And it'd be somebody he'd see at church. So here's what he did. He said eventually he realized he was being held bondage by that. And he tore them all up. And he said now, he says, if I give money to somebody, I just give it to them. And he says, and if they give it back, it's a bonus. And he says, like Christmas. I never knew it was coming. <laughs> you know what he did? He chose not to remember. He chose not to remember. And uh, God chose not to remember our iniquities. The hurt that we have caused God, he chose not to remember. That's pretty amazing. It's, it's really incredible to have that kind of freedom. You know, the main different things we've done against the will of God and against God's holiness, and yet he chose not to remember it's an amazing God, amazing Savior. Look on down with this. I was in verse 17 when I read that. In verse 18, it says, Now where remission of these is, where these sins and these iniquities are taken away, there's no more offering for sin. Once for all, Christ died. That's great language out of the book of Hebrews. That term once for all is used many times. If you don't have a once for all salvation, you don't have biblical salvation. 
If you have a salvation that's codependent upon you keeping it, you do not have biblical salvation. Because biblical salvation is a once-for-all salvation. Having therefore, brethren, or, or excuse me, uh, ver- yeah, verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness, not arrogance, but boldness, to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. We have access to God because of Christ. By a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and I'll take time to elaborate on all that. It's a good thing I'm not the way I'm talking right now. Um, but I will, <laughs> I don't know what an elaborate is, but I won't do it. Um, and that reference, the veil in his flesh, refers to the fact when Christ was crucified, that big veil, that big heavy curtain separating the holy place with the most holy place in that temple ripped in half from top to bottom. And it did that when Christ was crucified. Why? Because the way unto God was made open through Jesus Christ. He's our mediator. And so he did this thing. And it says, let us, it says, let us draw uh, by a living, new and living way that is through his flesh. Verse 21. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having a heart sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So this thing of salvation is something that affects our mind, our spirit, also affects our living, what we do with our bodies, or it's supposed to. And uh, that's what God designs for. Then look at verse 23. Let us, look at that phrase, what is it? What's the next two words? Hold fast. Hold fast. What does it mean? Don't let go of it. Get a hold of it. Hold fast. <laughs> I have the cutest little card. My wife got me this card, and, and uh, I forgive it's my birthday or anniversary or something like that, or maybe, I don't know why, but it, to me, it's just funny. I keep, it, I keep it in my car, and occasionally I'll look at it. There are two little bulldogs on the beach, and a black one and a white one, and the one has the other one's leg in its mouth. The one dog's standing there like that, and the other dog has its leg, in it, and they're both looking like this, and... You open it up, you got that picture of these two dogs. They don't look like they're fighting. One's just looking back like, well, you got my leg for you. Pull my leg. And the other one's got it. You know, it's a bulldog. And when you open it up, it says, I love you and I won't let you go. I tell you, that's the most hilarious little car. That, that thing just makes me chuckle every time I see it. It's like, like that. And I thought, well, that's, uh, <laughs> that's funny, actually. And uh, this thing of holding fast our faith means we ought to say we love the one that we love, the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, through our faith in Him, we're going to, not going to let Him go. I'm not talking about hanging on, hoping to endure for salvation's sake. I'm talking about when the pressures of life, when the doubts of life come. And listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. If you've not been awake yet, but wake up for this point. I'll tell you when there's something worth waking up for again. You, you will have doubts. They are part of faith. I'm not saying they are part of the fabric of faith, but they accompany it in the sense where faith is, doubts will also show up. I'm not saying they're part of the, what makes up organically makes up faith. I'm saying that doubts show up where faith is. Why? Because faith by nature and by the very definition is something we've not seen. I don't have any faith. I love this pulpit. I love the uh, thought that and the craftsmanship that went into making it. And, and, and I, I, I look at this. I don't have to have faith that this pulpit's here. It's here. It's tangible to my senses. I can see it. I can, I can touch it. I'm not going to taste it. That's weird. But it's here. It's, uh, it's very tangible. It requires no faith at all for me to know that pulpit's there. I, I did not come up here and lay my Bible down. And, and put my phone down so we could have the podcast going. I didn't put that on here by faith. It's here, I saw it. By faith means I am trusting 
in something I have not seen with the eyes. I have, I'm believing a report given to me that I cannot grab with my tactical senses and go with. So anywhere you have that, and since we are creatures of, we live in this, this material uh, life and that, and that's part of what we are, it's easy for doubt to come in. Because what we've not done is we've not shook Jesus' hand. We've not looked into His physical eyes. We have the report through His Word, and then we have a choice. Do we believe God's Word, or do we do, as the book of 1 John warns us against, do we not believe God's Word, and so be call God a liar? Because see, if you don't believe the Bible, the Bible says you've called God a liar. Because God's the author of this book. It'd be as if I wrote a note to you and sent it to you and you read the note I wrote and you said, I don't believe that. You're calling the author of that communication a liar. And if you don't believe the Bible, you reject what it says. Then you've called the author a liar. It's a very serious sin. And so what happens is we have assurance. Let us draw near with the true heart and full assurance of faith. Why? And then in verse 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith. Look at the rest of that verse. Nothing wavering. If you want to think about the word wavering, the Bible gives a great illustration for it when it talks about wisdom. When it tells us, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to every man. And not brave not, but let him ask in faith. Nothing wavering. Then it gives you the definition so you understand that word. For he that wavereth is as the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. And so this thing of wavering is the idea, if you think about, think about the, the, the uh, instability of the water and the waves and that, that's what it's talking about. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith. Nothing wavering. And why? why? So be solid about what we believe. Look at verse, uh, why we can do that at the end of the verse. Here's, here's the reason why we can have that stability. For He is faithful to promise. Everything I'm preaching to you this morning is based on that promise. Because God's faithful, we can do these things. Verse 24. And let us consider one another. Now, here's what it comes down to this thing of forsaking. There's a lot of not considering one another. We would just flat or don't take time to care what they do to other people. And the reason they don't is because they're self-centered. It really boils down to that basic thing of life. And people don't want to hear that. And if you're ever one of the people who get aggravated at you when you point out the error they need to change, it's self-centered people. Because self-centered people are never the problem. Someone else is. And the Bible says we're to consider one another. But look at this. This is interesting. This is one of the few times you ever see the word provoke used in a good way. The fact is not used very often in a good way. We have other places in the Bible where there's a warning, especially those fathers. Fathers, what's it say? Provoke what? Not what? Your children to wrath. Why? We can do that because us dads can be very annoying creatures. Now, according to the how resilient your children are and what the dynamic is in your family, because there's a lot of families that operate differently. It's, it's kind of funny. My family has a peculiar sense of humor. And I'm talking about not just my immediate family, but my sister and my mom did, my brother. We just, and aunts and uncles and all them, we had a different way about things. It's just funny. You know, uh, somebody wipe out. I mean, they fall downstairs. As we went over to help them, we're all laughing because it looked hilarious. <laughs> and if you're thin skinned, my family's just a bad place to be. I'm telling you. It's just not how we operate. But, this, uh, 
But it's talking about provoking, and there's a lot of different ways. I don't want to sidetrack myself into this, but there's a lot of ways to provoke. It's not just you know antagonizing or something like that. That's that can be part of it. But uh, such things as demanding things for which they've not been trained, uh, unrealistic expectations, never giving credit or acknowledging the good that's done, always following a compliment up with a jab. All these kinds of things that point more to our insecurity as a dad than it does to us being a real man. All these things are provocative and not good for the health of the children. So usually the word provokes not a good thing. Poking and that sort of thing, you know, aggravating something. Um, but here it's a good thing. Look what it says. Look what the verse says. It says... And let us consider one another. So we're being considerate of one another. We're thinking about one another. How? To provoke unto love and to good works. It's, it is such a neat thing when you encounter somebody who, when you're around them, they make you want to do better. Both by their actions and their words, they encourage you to do better. You know, it's even a better thing if you become such a person as that. I, I can't hardly go past that type of thought without thinking of, Someone who means a lot to some of you, and by this point in time in history, a number of you never knew him, but a brother we used to have here all the time, Brother Monty Watts. Brother Monty Watts got Guillain-Barre syndrome uh, through a, a shot which he received as a child, inoculation, and he ended up getting the Guillain-Barre syndrome. He ended up in an iron lung. He, was, he loved playing baseball and all that, and he woke up the next morning, collapsed onto the floor, um, just uh, he was in the iron lung for a long time. In fact, I've got a few copies of his book from the iron lung to a pulpit. They told him he wouldn't live into his early 20s. He preached the funeral of two of the four doctors that told him that, <laughs> which told me never, never do that with Brother Watts. And he, he, he lived up into his latter 60s. Uh, he, for a while, had, he, he had a remission where he had no problems from the illness. And then it, it came back again in his 40s. And yet he traveled. His last many years, Brother, Brother Watts didn't fly to any of his meetings. He was evangelist. And, and he preached the word. Very pleasant man to be around. Had the, had the braces on his legs. Took him a long time to get up every morning and get the braces on stuff where he could get moving. He didn't fly to any of his meetings. Because even back before things were so crazy in our world, it was rough getting through airports with all that. So he drove to all his meetings. And I still remember him laughing. He said, but man, he says, I don't know what to think. He says, he says I've had pastors tell me the young evangelists are canceling their meetings because they've had 20 meetings and they're worn out. And he said, uh, he said I'm in my 50s and I ha- I'm having 62 meetings this year. <laughs> and I'm crippled, is what he'd say. He'd drive. Uh, he'd, he'd go through tires like you go through tanks of gas. I mean, just unreal. He just... Always pleasant. But you know what Brother Watts always did? I saw him in a lot of circumstances. He was always an encourager. He would come up and he, he would say, well, I'll tell you. He says, you can, you can do a good job. He, I remember him coming here when we were in our church. We didn't have this build or any of this and the old building and that. But man, you have great opportunity here. I think you got good people. It's going to go well. Hey, did you hear about Brother So-and-so over there? And how the Lord's blessed here? And did you hear about over here? And boy, this fellow is about where you are and God's doing this. And that's why he always was. Wouldn't that be a great way to be, to be remembered? You say, well, he must have just had it easy. He was in constant pain. 
His hands are like that. The man loved firearms. He loved shooting. He loved hunting, all different things. But he, he couldn't, he got to where he couldn't use a rifle and then he couldn't use a handgun. Couldn't pull back a bow, anything. And so, but he, he did, loved fishing. Some of you went with us when we did a men's thing with some other churches, went to Lake Erie and uh, rented a boat and went out there. Uh, just, just a great time. What is it that's encouraging? That's what this is talking about. He's probably one of the best examples of that I've ever seen in life. Brother Cox is that way too. Brother Daryl Cox will be with us God willing at the end of the, or in October. He's, he's like that. He encourage, he'll encourage it. You, be careful if you spend any time with Brother Cox, especially if you like to be down and look at the negative because he, he's flat and will fix that in you in a hurry. He's just, uh, just a, a pleasant guy. He said, oh, he's probably had pretty easy. Yeah, probably has. He's had open heart surgery. He's a diabetic and um, got a whole, st- a whole host of other things on his shoulders you would never know about. Just encouraging, serving the Lord. That. I think we could. I think if uh, I think if we wanted to consider one another, we could help with that. Um, it'd be a great thing. So look at what it says here. He said, "What's this thing about not forsaking?" Well, then let's let's go on with this. In verse twenty-four, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Then verse twenty-five, in context of this, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That's very specific. We have a podcast, but that's not assembly. Churches can live stream. That's not assembly. For, for not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is, some are in the habit of doing it. Some have gotten in the habit of doing it. As the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, which is encouraging and provoking one another to do better and to continue on. But exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, there's not to be a lessening of this, but there's to be an increase of it. Regardless, regardless of what external circumstances are. And because of that, the church has a biblical mandate that it may not forsake for anybody at any time under any circumstances. And God said, I want you to realize that we need to be able to provoke one another to good works. You need that. I want, you need to be able to exhort one another. You need that. You need your brothers and sisters in Christ. And they need you. And yet we live in a day and time where people think of the light thing to just walk away from what they know to do for the Lord and walk away from the brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, God's not, not pleased with that. And it certainly is not healthy for anybody involved with that. Um, the re- main reason, as we found out, for not forsaking is because Christ has never forsaken us. It just comes down to that. Thank God He hasn't. I'm glad He hasn't. The Bible deals with several different things that we are not to forsake. It's interesting. first time that word shows up is in the book of Deuteronomy. And it says a statement. It says, don't forsake the Levite. So what's that? That's the priest. The people of this tribe, of this group of Israel, they're the 12 sons of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel by God. Those 12 sons became the 12 tribes, the 12 divisions of what became a nation and is a nation now. The Levites, those from Aaron, that's the Aaronic priesthood and the Levites came from that. 
they, when they came into the promised land of Israel, by the way, of which Israel only occupies a small part right now, there's a lot of land that belongs to them that is not theirs in possession. And um, no matter what the tribunals of the world decide about that, God gave it to them. And when, when they came into that land, there were 11 tribes were given the, the, the different lands. The tribe of Levi was not given land. They had some cities they were given because they had to dwell somewhere. But they were not given land. And the reason they were not given land in the promised land because what they did was they ministered at the tabernacle, which was the house of God. Eventually it would become the temple. And they ministered and taught the law of God to the people, did sacrifice for the people, and ministered to the people about the ordinances and the things of God. Because that was their vocation, they were not and did not have time to be farmers and craftsmen and all these different things. Therefore, the tithe and what came from the people, the 10%, which is God's from God's people, was used to support the house of God and those who ministered in the house of God and those who ministered to the rest of the flock. Paul said it this way in the New Testament. He said, if I have something to you spiritual things, is it, is it any wonder or any marvel if I reap carnal things? Then he said, yet I've not, yet used, I've not used this power. In other words, what he said, I have a right to do this, but I don't push that. Why? Because I don't want it to hinder the gospel going out. So there were times even in the life of Paul where he took up tent making at times and with Aquila and Priscilla and did things he'd need to do to take care of not only himself, but the people who were with him. His staff, if you will. And yet it's always been God's plan that God's people would not forsake those who minister to them. You show me the actual care any church has of their pastor, I'll show you to what extent the hand of God will or will not be on that. And look, I know I'm talking in a day and time where there's all kinds of religious charlatans who have taken the Bible as a way of making money. And I don't care about those jaybirds at all. A bunch of nonsense. I'll call them by name. I don't mind I'll do it all day long. But I'm talking about God's people need to understand something. God watches God's people to see what God does with God's people towards God's pastors and, and decides what He does with the hand of blessing on it. That's still Bible truth. I heard a preacher say to me once, he said, you know, that's all true. He talked about 1 Corinthians 9, which deals with it in detail. That you're not to muzzle the, the ox and all these things. There's a lot of passages that deal with it. And the preacher's friend said to me, he said, you know, you can't preach that in your own pulpit. I said, what are you talking about? I still remember the conversation. He goes, well, you, you preach that to your own people who think you're just, you know, bucking for a raise or something. And I said, so what other part of the Bible do you feel liberty not to preach because you're uncomfortable with it? Shall I not preach John 3.16 because I feel comfortable with it? No, this is the whole counsel of God. And for you to be healthy and for our church to be healthy, we need the whole counsel of God. That's right. It's that simple. And so the Levites, it's a don't forsake them. Don't leave them. If somebody put 10, 15, 20 years of their life into your life, you can just walk away without telling them or all of a sudden decide you have a right not to talk to them whenever you don't want to. Don't forsake. God takes it seriously. Whether you do or not, He does. And this is an important thing. It's a vitally important thing. Because one of the tactics of our adversary is to try to separate God's people from God's pastors. Now it's amazing, and this is, you study the Bible, you'll know this is a fact. Matthew, the most warnings in the Bible 
are because of pastors that forsook the people. There are far more examples in that Bible of those who were supposed to be shepherds of the flock not doing what they ought to do than there are examples of the flock not doing what they ought to do. Did you know that? that that's the way it's set up. In other words, get out here and certainly it suddenly it becomes a profession or a way to make money instead of what it ought to be is a calling from God and a love for God's people and a love for the God that we serve. And all of a sudden they wander off. Boy, I'll tell you, there's some serious warnings about what happens when a man does that. Starts doing it for filthy lucre's sake. So that means they ought not to be paid. They ought to be paid. ought to be taken care of well because it's, it's, it's a high demand job. But here's the thing about it. If that's his heart for serving, you see, he'll try to climb the ladder. I've had people say, well, you've got connections and stuff. You could get a bigger church. Well, I reckon here's how it'll work. I believe I'm where God wants me right now. I don't mean necessarily against Israel, but in, here pastoring this church. Okay? I believe that. So I reckon if it's really God's will, have a bigger church, we'll grow. And besides that, from what I've seen, trying to love people and keep up with them and stuff, I don't know who the cycle is. What's a huge one anyway? You know what that involves? Well, God knows, God knows what portion of his people I can be the right type of pastor towards. And that's what I need. Those that I can do this right towards. That's all any, any, any man got. And with that understood, we're not to forsake. It's amazing the forsaking that goes on. It's, it's as if it's nothing. It's as if it's nothing. It's, it, it does that. We're told, we're told not to forsake. This is interesting. We're not supposed to forsake. It says, your friends and your father's friends forsake not. We need to remember our friends. Hey, even, even with, when, if someone gets to a point in life where you cannot closely fellowship anymore because there are times that happens, you're still supposed to not forsake. Not forsake. Um, how about this? I, I, this? This is an amazing one to me. The strange woman in Proverbs, and the strange woman is, is the woman, she's immoral, and it talks about her in the Bible. It talks about the wise, and it talks about the strange woman. She's an immoral woman. She's uh, promiscuous, and she's, she's, she's just bad in many ways. But one of the characteristics of her, it says she forsaketh the guide of her youth. In other words, there's some things she'd been taught when she was young, and there were some people who had guided her, and when she gets older, she just throws that aside like it didn't mean anything. That's a sign of a strange woman. It's a bad thing. And so we need to be careful about this thing of, of uh, forsaking. Now, when we don't forsake, here's what happens. Look back in the text here again. Let me show you the blessings of not forsaking. I, I, I love these things. It says, um, uh, look in verse 22. It says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance. Not forsaking the Lord. And I'm not even going into all that. The Bible deals a lot about people forsaking the Lord and uh, an entire nation forsaking the Lord sometimes. But when we don't forsake, it allows us to draw near to God. You can draw near to God just uh, not forsaking. You stay, stay faithful to your God. And as you do that, you'll learn more about Him. Do you know you have different capacities to learn at different ages? You literally do. I mean, it would be evident that you're piling up experience, or should be. <laughs> I heard the most hilarious thing yesterday. See if I can get this right. The guy said, he said, we make some dumb decisions. And he said, sometimes those cost us money. That's kind of tuition in, in, in learning. It's kind of funny. That's something we've said around our house for years. And uh, I guess tuition in the school of hard knocks, huh? 
And he said, we all do some dumb things. He goes, and they cost us. He said, but if we learn from them and don't repeat them, then it was worth the cost. And he said, the funny thing is, you do enough dumb things and learn from them, they start calling it wisdom. <laughs> and I thought, that's a funny, but an accurate, very accurate statement. And this thing of drawing to God with full assurance, um, tribulation, uh, tribulation work of patience. And patience experience. And experience hope. And with that hope, the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit of God is shed abroad in our hearts. Why? But tribulation is where it starts. Whatever type that may be. And you have different levels of that. You know, some things that may seem like a lot to you now may not later. You know, you watch people sometimes, they'll start to something and something's overwhelming and you're thinking, okay, <laughs> that's not really good. But it is at that point. It is at that point. And tribulation worketh patience. You make it through that. Okay? You may not make it through it with flying colors, or you may not do it you know, in the best attitude, but you make it through. And then patience experience. So the next time you run into something, you say, well, okay, I went through that already, so I'm here. And then that experience gives you hope. And you know what? God is, has you on a step-by-step learning so that you grow. Because God has no desire to leave you where He found you. I'm glad He came to where we were. And He sought us where we were. But He doesn't want to leave us there. He wants us to grow and be more like Christ. And so what does not forsaking do? Not forsaking allows us, it allows us to draw near with the true heart and full assurance. Um, tell you what else it does. Look, look what happens. It says... Uh, uh, down, it says, let us hold fast, or excuse me, at the end of verse 22 rather, it says, uh, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Not forsaking allows us to, uh, allows us to be clean in our mind and our, our body and what we do. We can be faithful. We can grow. I put it down here. Uh, we, can, we can grow and have strength in the Lord. Why? Because we are staying faithful and not forsaking the Lord. Don't forsake what you've been taught through the Bible. Don't forsake the Word of God. Don't forsake what's been passed down to you. None of us, no generation creates truth. Truth's eternal. We learn it. And we don't learn new truth. Truth is eternal. And so what happens is, let's not forsake. Um... Not forsake the, the way that's right. You know, we come together, look in verse 24. It says, uh, by the way, verse 23, I love that. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that because I did earlier, but holding fast your profession, part of this, the not forsaking, let you do that, not wavering. But look at verse 24. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Let me say one other thing about that. This idea of provoking in a good way, like I talked to you about, and strengthening is really important. Most people are not strong, strong when it comes emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. Everybody has breaking points. Everybody has breaking points. 
But most people are not really, really, really strong. God knows that. In fact, he makes reference in the Old Testament and says he remembers our frame, that which is, supports us, that which is the center of our strength, is but dust. It's just dust. And so God knows that about us. And so what he does, he has designed a way for us to strengthen one another so that we can be stronger collectively than we are individually. Helping each other. Going along. And helping one another to be what we ought to be. I'm really glad for different points of life and different times in life, God sent some people by just to be an encouragement time. Sometimes to rebuke at times. When I needed that, because I had something going on that uh, was detrimental. Instruct you. Um, why? Because God doesn't want us breaking. He wants us to be able to stand and having to to be strong throughout our life. But we need each other to do that. Um, <laughs> do you realize, and here's where we consider one another, do you realize when others see people wavering, quitting, forsaking, it affects them also? I mean, you know, militarily, if you're talking about battles, how I many of you know what a route is? They're talking about a route, okay? A route is when an enemy, or when a, when a particular army or a particular group, when the enemy gets them not just to retreat, there's an orderly withdrawal. You can withdraw and be, do it orderly and fight and give ground. But a route is where they break and they run. Down south, there's a little phrase used in the... Uh, the Civil War, they called it keeping up the skier. You didn't put that little twang in it, you'd say keeping up the scare. In other words, it, <laughs> General, General Bobby Lee was good at it. All right? And uh, was it hate crime to use him for an illustration? Anyway, um, <laughs> stupid title of it. And Stonewall so, so Jackson, they were really good at it. You know what they did when they turned the army, which McClellan was not that hard to do. They would turn the army and they would get it to run. They would keep it running. Why? Because if you keep them running, you can just totally demoralize the troops. Keeping up the skier. You know how many times I've thought of that phrase or present world situation while people are doing keeping up the skier. A lot of what's going on. But here's the illustration with it. And you understand that that always starts with someone breaking and running. Why have there been times in combat where officers have used strong words, have stricken people with swords, have even shot people who start to run? He said, man, that's brutal. But why does that happen? Because here's what they know. If it breaks at one point, and that starts, the whole line will give. The whole enemy will come through. Everything will be lost. And by the way, the casualties might be much higher than if they didn't break or run. Adversary ever gets us to run scared, he'll take us out so fast. It's unbelievable. Our strength isn't in running scared. Our strength is standing in the faith. <laughs> Talking about Satan, the Bible says, whom resists steadfast in the faith. Good verse. I've reminded myself of it a lot of times over the last many days. 
whom resists steadfast in the faith. And the Bible says one way we steadfast is not forsaking. Not forsaking what we've been taught. Not forsaking the Word of God. Not forsaking our duties as a Christian. Why? Because God wants us to stand. And look, when we do this, it keeps us from running and, and being overrun. Which is what ends up happening in the situations where they, where they go, look, 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 when they go and the line breaks, uh, we are weak people. It is easy for us to feel isolated and, and to start giving in on areas where we shouldn't give in on. And we are supposed to exhort one another and help each other stand for Christ. I wish those who forsake cared enough about what it does to those who are left behind when they forsake. Maybe it would make a difference. And so, the Bible says that we are to consider one another to provoke unto good works. Um, the provoking to good works, as we come together, we can help each other strength-wise. I'll give you these thoughts. The folly of forsaking. It, 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 it's folly, it's foolish, because of the damage it does to the person who forsakes. There's something about forsaking that hurts you. For many people, it hurts them in a way from which they never fully recover. I'm not saying it's an absolute final sentence. I, I don't believe biblically that's correct. But I do see that it is very dangerous and very damaging. The old Demas, I'm glad in the Bible that he was used again of the Lord. But it was sad that Paul had to say at one time, Demas hath forsaken me by having loved this present world. He, he loved the world. He loved the things of the world so much that he left. And what he did, he increased the burden of everybody who kept serving. He hindered the work of God. And he himself lost the rewards of that day. And it affected his character. Well, thank God they got back on track. He was used again. That's a good thing. I'm glad of that. Oh, John Mark, remember him? He, uh, Paul and Barnabas end up in a fuss over John Mark because they're getting ready to take a second missionary journey and Barnabas being uh, the son of consolation, which is what the other apostles called him. He was always trying to help people along. He wanted to take John Mark with him. Paul said, he's not going with us again. And Barnabas and Paul have a disagreement because Paul says, look, he went with us last time and he bailed out halfway through the work. We can't afford to take somebody with us. We're out here where we're having persecution. That Paul had already been stoned and left for dead. He said, we're on the sharp end of the stick and I can't have a young man who I don't know if he's going to be there tomorrow or not. That's Paul. Barnabas is like, oh, we're taking with us. I think something's happened. The Lord's doing something with it. He failed that first drive. We'll drive again. And, and finally, it's like, well, Barnabas, you want him, you take him. I'm taking Silas with me. And that's where they went with that. Oh, by the way, that's John Mark. You might know a little thing he wrote. It's called the Book of Mark. Yeah, he wasn't done yet. He wasn't done yet. Just because he had had a failure at a young age and because he didn't, he didn't stand didn't mean that's all he could be. But you understand for every demon that comes back and does some good and every John Mark that comes back and do some, does some good, there are scores, perhaps hundreds, who never recover from that. They begin a process that becomes what they are. And they begin a process that, that is very damaging to them. And besides that, there's, there's the loss of what the potential there and there's the loss and the hurt to others. You know, when, when, when folks forsake, others have to carry what's been forsaken. 
And so it damages, it does to the person who forsakes, it damages them. Because the damage it does to the body of Christ and to His work, it demoralizes people, it demeans people, and it, and it, and it damages. Let's not forsake. Then, um, understand that there's no one ever forsakes for nothing. They always go from and to. When a Christian forsakes assembling, they always replace that time with something else. Always do. Always do. And, and, and that's why the type of preaching used to be something you'd like to hear and you wanted to learn from, and now it annoys you. Because the fact is that it, the truth hasn't changed. And people get very annoyed when truth doesn't change when they start changing. When they start shifting from what they once were. And truth doesn't change with you. And when you come into the presence of biblical truth, it doesn't coddle you or say it's okay because of your circumstances or because of what somebody else did. It's not. And when we understand that, we understand there's a real grown-up responsibility towards our God, then we start actually living as Christian people. Then we have a better chance of having charity in our heart. We have a better chance of having kindness in what we do. Because this real adult biblical stand doesn't lead to the machoism and the pride-filled actions of Christianity that's way too often prevalent. But what it leads to is a maturing and a learning to love on an air, in, in, in the depth where you love people well enough to look them in the eyeball when you need to and say, hey, this is what we should be doing as believers. Not jumping into areas that aren't your area. Not going around as the moral policeman of the congregation. But realizing... What's right is right. And what has been right is right. And will always, always be right. God is very, very deserving of our being faithful and honoring Him. That's right. And you know what's amazing? He has started the precedent of it by being faithful and honoring towards us. You think of the value he placed on you individually in that his own son would step in your place to suffer your, your sin and meet your need. That's quite a, that's quite a, that's quite a way of honoring. When a Christian forsakes, they always go from and to. There's always something else that goes into place. That forsaking, whether it be forsaking the Bible, forsaking of their church attendance, forsaking of their Christian duty, whatever, it involves a shifting of allegiance. It is part of the process of your values. It is part of your value system that is changing. Therefore, it is part of what you are at the core. God says, don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together. Why? Because, you know, you can help one another. You can, you, can, you can strengthen one another. You can bless one another. You can, there's an accountability to one another. And there's so much good that can be done together. And that's really what God designs for us. There's a folly to forsaking. Everybody's tempted to do it at times. It's, it's, the rationale will come with it. I'll tell you where I had a good rebuke given to me. As a young preacher, um, I can honestly, before you today, as your pastor, say, 
you check all my pastor friends, everybody know, I, I do not run this congregation down. I've been with pastors and talk about, I do something well for both people and all that. I despise that kind of talk. Um, I'm realistic about the facts of weaknesses and strengths. And I say it publicly from here. I'll tell you, hey, in this area, the Lord's blessed our church for doing some things. This area, we're a weak church. We need strengthening. That's reality. I like dealing with reality. It actually leads to something. But I was whining and complaining. That's all it was. The young preacher. You know? I had spent enough time with people who had actually suffered something from their face. I thought I was going for something. Hope you caught what I just said. I really hadn't. I hadn't spent enough time with people who have actually suffered for their faith, so I thought I was going through something. <laughs> I've told you it before, but it's just unbelievable. I'm with Brother Charles. Charles pastoring. And I'm about this, about that, going on. I wasn't using a whining tone. I was doing a manly whining. And uh, I'm still whining. He's just looking at me. But Daryl has a way about it. And I kept going, and he just. I got down to him, I was telling him, he just looked at me. Thought maybe he'd, you know, a little empathy there for me. Tell me I could make it. That's right. It is. Son! You know how he talks. Son! Yeah, Brother Daryl. Barry got himself out of the church, ain't you, son? What he said to me words was shut up and get down to business. Son! Not ready to talk yourself out of church, ain't you, son? Yeah, that was really good exhortation. Because it was. I am glad I had a Christian brother at that time who gave me what I needed. I thought I needed one of these. He thought I needed one of these. And he was right. <laughs> Let me pray with you, please. Father, thank you for your people. And uh, thank you for your truth today. Uh, help us to not forsake the good in the good way. And uh, Lord, please, we, we want to do that. We want to be faithful people. And uh, we're not asking you to do our part. We're acknowledging our need for you. And Lord, I pray that you help us with that. And Lord, may we be committed to you and your word and who you are. And Lord, I pray that you'll bless and help us to do that and be a blessing to others because of it, please. Amen. Let's stand together. Some of you want to bring before the Lord. Why don't you come? Our invitation time is a time for you to do business with the Lord on something He's touched your heart with. Uh, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, there are people here who can take a Bible, show you clearly from the Word of God how to be certain of your salvation today. You've never followed the Lord in baptism since you've been saved. Now would be time to come. Why don't you come ahead? We have a song invitation. Why don't you come this morning?